Hi guys, uh, it's the Naked Physio here. Uh, welcome, you're joining us um, for part two of live from the San Diego Pain Summit 2016, translating pain science literature to the clinic. I'm joined by healthy, wealthy, smarts, Karen Litzy. Say hello, Karen. Hi everyone, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. When I said that, hi everyone, I kind of, I don't know if people watch Project Runway, but I sounded exactly like Nina Garcia on Project Runway. I, anyway, I don't know. Project yeah, Runway. you don't know what that is, but it's it's uh, it's, it's kind of like how you didn't like know that. about the penny drops, how the penny drops yes, in the last. Kind of like yeah. how I didn't know what that meant. So since I, I mean, I I doubt many people know what that me meant. So what does that mean? The penny, it's the penny drops. It's like when you get something. Okay. You're like ah, I get it. I get it now. Got yeah. It. yeah. Cool. Got it. Yeah. So the penny has just dropped for me. Okay. The penny has dropped. The penny has dropped. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So uh, we're um, we're in part two of uh, of uh, the San Diego Pain Summit podcast. We're um, gonna have uh, the the if you'd listened to part one, you may have found that we cut it off because we didn't want uh, guys to be listening for a good hour and twenty minutes. So we're gonna pick up from where we left off. Um, for part uh, for uh, for question three and question four, what were those questions again, Karen? Sure. So in this podcast, uh, the third and fourth questions, we're talking. Uh, the panel, I should say, is talking uh, more on how to manage expectations when you're progressing through your treatment plans. Because as you know, anyone out there who treats people with persistent pain, it's not a linear graph. It doesn't go, you start with a lot of pain and then you end with no pain in a perfect linear graph. There are peaks and valleys. And so the panel kind of tells us how they manage their clients' expectations through those peaks and valleys. And we also talk about how to get patients to buy into your program. And that means buying into the home exercise program. Because any clinician will tell you, you spend a couple of hours, if you're lucky, a week with your client and they spend the rest of the week with themselves and so getting mm. them to buy in and be part be a partner in their care is hugely important and all of the panel had some really great uh, tips and and answers to both of those questions so I'm really looking forward to everyone listening to it yeah 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 so I uh, I think you you covered that lovely so I think without further ado we should uh, resume the San Diego pain summit live Okay, thanks everybody, enjoy. Um, so I think next we'll go, we'll start with Greg, and then we'll go sort of Greg Brunning, Michael Raven, and say, say Because Sandy. I won the last round? Because <laughs> <laughs> you won the last round. You are the weakest link. <laughs> so, That's not so really appropriate at a professional setting. <laughs> so, so the next question is, um, you know, I, I feel like we can all agree with this, but so many of our patients want to feel better now. If not now, then maybe yesterday. Um, so when you're when you're treating your patients with chronic pain, how do you manage their expectations when you when you progress through your treatment plan, Greg? Wait, it looks like a deer in headlights. I feel like maybe this is. I wanted to paraphrase what everyone said before me. Uh, sorry. Please do not swear. <laughs> sorry. I won't swear. Oh, damn it. Uh, I won't swear. <clears throat> um, no, I... I uh, it, it's pretty important. If, 
if they've had pain for a long time, then I, I think most patients already kind of know that they're not going to get better that quickly. Like they know that it took them a while to get in, get into that uh, situation that they're in. <clears throat> so I don't really have that problem when people have that. Like I, I know that people want to get better quickly, but I, I really just focus on long-term goals and that pain isn't the most important thing. Like I really like what Bronnie talks about. I've sent a lot of people to Bronnie's site about uh, accepting. You know, it's nice that Kevin Ballas is, is, is here. I did once start to lecture a patient about acceptance and commitment therapy, and uh, she told me she wrote a book on it because she's a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. But not in pain. But she said, you did really good. (laughs) So I do do set people up pretty quickly, and I I do give them best and worst case scenarios. Because I think it is important to tell people that you're going to have flare-ups. Pain is normal. We have to stop saying that pain isn't something that we experience. And I always talk about my kids, because... They're just idiots, and they have good stories to tell about them. So they're 2, 5, and 8, and I poke them as they progress. And if everyone pokes their shoulder, it hurts, right, up in the traps. When you poke a 2-year-old, she giggles, a 5-year-old squirms, and an 8-year-old says, ow. You know, and and it's a normal thing, and I tell those stories to my patients that it's normal to have these pains, and it's normal that you shouldn't be completely out of pain. And so I give analogies and I give metaphors and I try to find something that's relevant to them. And that's how I set their, the expectations that, that most of the expectations, and I find out, sorry, I find out their, now I'm on a roll, I found out their, uh, <laughs> where they got their expectations in the past and by whom, right? And Paul, is it you that said every previous therapist is a potential yellow flag? No matter, like, you should take credit for that, even if you didn't say that. It's good. So, yeah, yeah, you did say that. It was good. And I talk, I, I, I talk about that. We find out where they got their ideas and then slowly poke into that, where we have to change their conceptions, their beliefs of what they, sh- they, they should ex- uh, expect as well. So, So, because I don't really care about pain... Um, but it seems to be a running theme. Well, it's it's irrelevant. I want um, people come to me after usually after a long time with with chronic pain. So I ask them, "What do you think the chances are of this pain going away?" And they'll tell me, "Well, I don't think it's going to go away at all." And I say, "Well, I use the magic wand." Um, Kevin Vowles talked about this. He he talked about another way, but I, he talked about a miracle. Well, I talk about I'm going to give you a magic wand, and I have a red, sparkly, plastic magic wand. If I give you this magic wand and pain was less of a problem for you, what would you be doing? We start to look at what else... So you can have pain and... So not pain or... Mm. And what else can I do? And it's amazing that people will always have something that they really want to be able to do, and they think that it's it's an either-or. But most people can find a wiggle room... I talk about wiggle room, not the, the finger trap thing. People that came to Kevin's thing had a Chinese finger trap, and the more you pull your fingers out, the harder it grips your finger. Mm. But it, what you do is you push it in a little, and you wiggle it. And we're trying to find wiggle room around this pain. Mm. How can I find some space to have it with me anyway and do things? Mm. Um, 
and perhaps that's the way I convey it, but I haven't been hit yet. I'm quite blunt sometimes that actually chances are you've been having this pain for 20 years. You know, I don't know that it's going to go away anytime soon. So what's your life going to be like if this carries on until the day you die? You know, what do you want your life to stand for? Um, so that pain isn't my focus. That's not something, though, that can be just interpreted or absorbed just like that, though, is it? Something that you, you have to work on with somebody, right? Mm, usually by the, the way I do it, it's explore. What do you think's going on? <coughs> what's your theory? What's it like? What's it, how much is pain getting in the way of the things that you want to be able to do? And I wonder what would happen if we could just put some of those things back in alongside the pain. And then we have that conversation. It depends on the person. Somebody who's quite acute, so in the first six months of having pain, they're probably going to deck me. I haven't had that happen yet. They're going to what? Deck me. Thump me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hit me to the deck. <laughs> I know, I know. Because you've got, you got to be a little bit careful about this. If you're in Australia, deck sounds like dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be real, real careful. Same here. Are there any E's in New Zealand? Uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm a bit of both. Thank you for translating. Thank you, thank you. One other thing. I'm not a very systematic thinker, so I'm a bit chaotic in, in my evaluations, but one of the things that I think I can do is parallel thinking. And so I might, often what I do is just follow the patient. And Jeff Malin, he was a master of communication. He would, he would just follow what the patient said through the holy vowel. And at the same time, he's making conclusions about what the patient said. And it seems like he's not even doing an evaluation. They're just telling a story. And he was able to pull out really useful information and then make decisions and communicate about those intermittently during the evaluation. I mean, everyone does this. But one of the things I'll do at certain times is say, OK, can you just hold on a minute? What do you want from me about this? What, what do you expect I can do for you or what we can do together about this? And I'll actually pull this out, hopefully, get it out of the patient at some point. And at the end of the subject, particularly, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase a number of um, things that they've said. And I've said, well, my understanding is that these are key issues for you. Is this correct? And often they'll say, well, yeah, no, no that's not really what I meant. Or, yeah, actually, this is what I really want. OK, look, what? You have con continuous pain down your arm? OK, fine. Um, is it there now? Yeah, it's right there now. Okay, let's have a look. And are there some movements that will change that pain? And then that can be a starting point for um, you know, movement and changing beliefs and movement patterns and stuff like that. It's not particularly psychosocial and it's quite physical, but it gives you an avenue into self coping, self treatment, and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And then we'll go to Raven yeah. next and Sandy. <coughs> Sandy will be last for this round. <laughs> um, I would say I handle this much more specifically than everyone else because if I were to talk about managing expectations for their pain overall, I would be at the very least boundarying on scope of practice issues. I work as part of a team and that's more the doctor's and psychologist's job than is mine. My job is to, I think, it's twofold. It's to give accurate information about what's reasonable to expect from massage. So if somebody is saying that, oh, I thought I would come see you once and it would all be over, I'm like, well, in my experience, usually when we work with people for six weeks, they begin to see improvement. But there's a lot of people who see it faster and there's a lot of people who see it slower. So 
in my experience, I have seen is a good thing for managing expectations at the level that I should. And then the most important thing I think I do is avoid accidentally nociboing them. Like, for example, just saying something that sounds to me like a remark I toss off, but then they take it and they catastrophize it. Mm. I've unintentionally done that before, and I mean, I'm appalled when I look back at it, but you know, it's I learned from it. I never did it again. But there's always things, you don't know how people take things. So I'm very, very careful to avoid nocebo and to manage expectations specifically about massage and not to go any grander in scope than that. Great. Sandy, do you want to finish cool. it out? Um, sure, I have a quick question for Greg, though. What happens between your middle and your oldest child when it goes from something to hurting? What do you, how many times do you have to poke them before that hurts? That's how bad they've been. Um, <laughs> Seems like repeat exposure issues. Um, tell me I'm the, sensitizing my children. I've created a peripheral sensitization. <laughs> the first, if the first Eat one giggles. to the trapezius. If the first no, one giggles, giggles like they even, and the last No, they one, even shy away. Like, if they right? don't really, like, it's that giggle. Like, but then by the time, how many times okay. has the one that's eight been poked? Where's the threshold? I'm just curious. So. Oh, like it's monthly. It's like every time we measure them, I squeeze their traps with the calipers. I'm so glad you weren't my dad. Um, <laughs> like right now, I'll call them. They should be done their laps. And, uh, <laughs> we'll see, and then they can have their ration. I was waiting. Out. I was waiting the whole time to ask this question. I was like, yeah, whatever. Hurry up, people. Um, the... So our question was, um, I, I am more I am more impatient than my patients. I think I want them better yesterday, um, so I like setting clear, measurable goals for them, with them, um, that they establish, and and we should have little timelines to say whether they've gone along. Um, yeah, people, I would love to see someone that's only been hurting for six months. That's amazing. Um, by the time someone finds me, that's been twelve years. Um, so. Uh, my marketing sucks, and um, the no, but but they w they want to get better, and I do think that we can help people. This is where Bronnie and I have interesting discussions. I think we can help people make incremental changes towards their definition of better, mm -hmm. but they should be measurable. Uh, it's never fast as fast as they want, but as long as we can show some progress that they see and they define, then I think that's cool. Can I can I just ask a counter question to everybody? When do you know when it's right to take somebody up to say the next level say Sandy when do you know do you, do you experiment well I keep looking for their edge I wish Corey was here um, um, I, 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 I try to keep challenging them um, because they tell me they tell me on their evaluation what better means to them and how they'll know when they're there um, so my job is to help them get there and we, we clearly define little guide marks along the way um, so as you meet one, then we go for the next one, um, as objective as I can make it. And I think it has to align with the values of that patient, not the values of you. So as right. the clinician, you may say, well, you should be able to move your arm this far. You should be able to get this down from a high shelf. But if it's not of value to them in their life, then you really have to rethink maybe what your goals are and, and where you're kind of headed with your treatment plan. So I think their values have to really right. align with, with yeah. what you expect of them. So that's See. just my two cents Agreed. the panel. Agreed? I was All just right. about to say that. <laughs> Great minds. Okay. Um, 
Go ahead. Let's go on with the last question, and then we'll open up the panel for okay. yeah. questions from the audience. So, last question to, let's start with Sandy again. Too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me and too. have right, last? Are we the three of us? Or are we the <laughs> okay, so the whole exercise program is so important for every patient, right? So getting patients to buy into the program and be compliant can often be a challenge. Compliant adherent can often be a challenge. What techniques, words, etc., do you utilize with your patients to keep them excited about the home exercise program? Oh, um, oh, you can't say because it works or because I said so. How about if you're designing... We'll skip Craig. Um, um, if you're designing a program that your patient is not interested in doing, you're wrong. Um, so if I help with their help create something they're interested in doing, the likelihood of them doing it is higher. Um, so if they help design it and it's their goals and their measures, they're going to do it. It needs to be important to them, it needs to be relevant to their life, and it doesn't need to be what I want to do, it needs to be what they want to do. Um, so I use that. And then it's easy. Cool. Great. Raven? Sorry, it's, Greg. It's good. It's, it's a difficult question, and I don't have a good answer. I have a lot of non-adherence to prescribed exercises from PTs among the people who come and see me for massage. And then I say, okay, well, would you like to just try doing a couple of exercises with me here and now? And that seems to work better, and I don't know how to translate that into working better when I'm not there. So this is a, this is a tough question. I, don't I think that's answer. a really great point, though, that Raven brings up, and that's if you are the physical therapist or the occupational therapist or the doctor, I mean, I don't know exactly what the audience is here, but it really behooves you to know who's on your team. And so if your patients are going to see a massage therapist, it behooves you to contact that massage therapist and let them know what your thoughts are on their home exercise program or your treatment plan. Because like Raven said, this is a way for her to follow through. So wouldn't it be great for the massage therapist to know what you're doing to help with a greater cohesive um, program for your patient? So I think, that's a great, I think that's a great insight. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll go down to the other side of the table to Michael. Thanks, guys. We call him Shaq over here. Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, we, we thought you'd be taller. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's shortness of Shaq, that way it's consistent with the shortness of the, of the body. Yeah. Um, I, I find really useful what key questions you have pain now. And if they say yes, where? And I try and find a, a movement that helps their pain there and then. And then you can just build on it from there. And, and you can start from a, um, just like a nerve root, for instance. You know, I've got old classical radicular pain. Um, but we know really quite accurately now what the foramen does with different postures and movements. And particularly, if someone's got pins and needles or pain down their arm, like we can position them at least to give them temporary relief in a lot of cases. So for me, that's a good starting point. And then I might say, well, you've been sitting on your nerve for the last five years. So I'm going to show you how to sit off, from, off it. 
and, and, and that can give you an, an avenue for changing posture, changing movement and stuff like that. Not particularly dealing with, with uh, you know, again, psychosocial, but at least it's a mechanical start which you can, which you can give them the reward. Now, the reward or the incentive is that it eases their pain. And we all know that if, if exercises de decrease pain, they're much more likely to do it. Mm. It's, a, it's a small yeah. start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Important. Go ahead, Bronnie. You knew I'd be different. <laughs> I, she I, doesn't care. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> Seriously. Now, I ask people, why, why has the physio got you to do these exercises? What's it for? How's that going to relate to your everyday life? And if they can't tell me, then I think we need to meet and talk. Because the person needs to know why they're doing it, because otherwise it's of no value. So if it's not contributing to something that they value, then there's, you know, I'm not going to encourage them to do it. Um, and then I'll often scaffold, like that word, really like that word, <laughs> excellent word, amount of support to improve people's confidence. And then there's a couple of tricks that, um, I'm sorry, but the psychologist taught me about, and I'll teach it to you when I do my talk, actually, on getting people to do stuff. Um, part from importance and confidence is to say what's, what's going to get in the way and then working out what can you do to get those things out of the way. So if the problem is, well, I haven't got my gym shoes and I don't have any lycra, well, <laughs> you could choose a different kind of exercise that doesn't need shoes and lycra. Or you could choose to wear baggy pants and jandals. Sorry, flip-flop. Flip-flops. <laughs> New Zealand is jandals. Australia is a thong. Yeah, believe which is it or just not. so wrong. <laughs> no, no. And here it's flip-flop. Yeah. You don't want to slip on your dick. When you <laughs> <laughs> so you have to watch. Oh shit, my thong got in the way, I slipped on my dick. Precisely. <laughs> Does know how to bring us down to reality. So that's what I do. Uh, and, and often I won't use any specific exercise because I don't think, um, in many cases with the people that I'm working with, I don't think there's something that is going to change their pain terribly much. They've had it for forever. And so we start with something they want to do. So I don't exercise, most people know this. I dance, I garden, I do my housework if I have to, um, I go for, I go fishing, and so we will build in things, so there's a variety of things for people to choose from, so that they are doing some movement, and gaining confidence in a whole bunch of different places, because that works for the population that I work with. Do you think there's a bit of a stigma behind exercise then, in, in terms of that? For me there is. There's too much you focus bet. on... You that, sweat. We should just do an activity. Um, I think then you're trying to be occupational therapists. I wouldn't do that. Well, I'm, be, I'm a pseudo. Well, I know. There's a couple of pseudo occupational therapists. <laughs> um, I think it's got to... People don't like the word exercise, absolutely. A lot of people hate it. So, doing. Let's do some movements. Let's try something you like to do. Let's get you moving. And I wonder if you tried this. Um, even with things like falls prevention, we know that if people tie their exercise with something that they do regularly, like waiting for the jug to boil, or going into the bathroom and closing the door and cleaning their teeth, you know, they tie the exercise to those common activities, then people will do them. So we can use those kind of cues with people, rather than you have to do exercise. I even talk about exercise snacks. Like, let's go have a five minute snack of exercise. 
so that it's not, I have to go do my exercises. It's just woven into everyday life. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I'm, I'm not, my, my background's in exercise biomechanics, and I think it's completely overrated for most people in pain. I mean, I'm an amalgam of Shaq and Bronny here on a scaffold. <laughs> <laughs> we hold them up. <laughs> I want to bring everyone. Yeah. You, and the, the scaffold is made of pelvises. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't ignore them. <laughs> everyone, we're all a team here. Yeah. Uh, but, no, no, I mean, a- exercise is graded exposure to stress on the body. Yeah. And graded exposure can be anything that the person wants to do. It should be graded, meaningful exposure. So if someone wants to run, then the exercise is them running. Yeah. Right? If they want to play volleyball, then it's volleyball or it's the exercises that prepare them to volleyball. If they, if they want to garden, then it's something we get them gardening and we just sort of ease them into it and expose them. And we can use exercise principles to prepare them to tolerate the stresses of gardening. But we don't have to say you need to do five seconds of a bridge before you can start troweling in the ground with your backhoe. Or I don't garden a lot of bulbs or something. I don't know. I slip on the dick. It's because he was poked when he was a child. <laughs> I wasn't poked enough. That's, my back hurts when I bent. Uh, uh, anyway, so, uh, God, you guys are horrible. Um, Keep so, so uh, yeah, so, so exercise for the most part doesn't matter, ex- except uh, what Michael said was, was, was perfect. If it's a good exercise, if you can show them that it's meaningful to them, where if you feel better doing this, then that's a great exercise, and I want you doing that, because nociception is important sometimes. If it goes back to our first question. You know, about it's important sometimes that 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 mechanical related pain can be alleviated by certain exercises and you keep doing those. So if it's related to that, then that's a good exercise. But it has to always then morph into something that's yeah. meaningful. Yeah. And that's the that's the most important exercise or activity. But three sets of ten, whatever. <laughs> Slip on your dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm in awe slightly, but uh, thank you very, very much, everyone, for, for your uh, insights into those questions. We want to open up the floor now. Um, so, any so, questions? Can you, have a, can you have a question? <laughs> We're going to take questions so, for about 10 minutes. Yeah, nice. 10 minutes. So, just say who you are, where you're from, and what your question is. Yeah, so that was uh, Leeming was the first author on that one, right? And Stockarts and all those guys. You know, because we can explain some of their results other ways, right? So if you take the active straight leg raise test and it's positive when you compress the pelvis from the side, it doesn't mean that what they've done with that is said that means the SI joint is unstable. No, no, no. All they, that they've shown is that 
there's less pain and there's less discomfort and it's easier to lift. If you do a similar thing and you just pucker the skin, you know, just a kitten, like you're picking up a little kitten, you'll often get the same result. And there's a guy named Thorvald Paulsen who's out of uh, Denmark. And he did a paper just a couple of years ago where they injected pain. I just say that as a joke just to piss you guys off. They injected a sensitizing element into the SI joints, and they recreated a positive ASLR test by injecting a nociceptive substance without there being any change in the stability of the joint. So it's just a nociceptive-driven dysfunction. The test is still relevant because it gives an idea of something that the patient can't do, but we shouldn't run with it and think that the SI joint is unstable. And that's the problem with, 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 with their stuff. So it all get, ends up being simpler, meaning for us to do this, all right, that's something meaningful that we can address, but we can't run with it and say that it supports a biomechanical rationale for pain. I agree wholeheartedly. And I guess Super. My question, High fives. There we go. <laughs> my, question, my question wasn't, I guess, my question was to say there is some more evidence around the active straight leg raise and provocative testing, for example, than kinetic or palpatory testing. So if we, and I'm not saying that if they're positive on those tests that that then means. Personally, I teach and I, and I treat my patients to never talk about an instability in the pelvis because it just doesn't exist, Right. right? And so I agree with that wholeheartedly, and we can have over-recruitment, we can, you know, we can, we can talk about all that kind of stuff. I like Peter O'Sullivan's work and how he classifies pelvic girdle pain. Um, but the question really is, we really do need to move away from palpatory tests and kinetic tests, because they've been clearly not shown. So at least I think as, as a group, we can agree that that is not the test to do. Can I just jump yeah. in there? Sure. In relation to palpatory and peripheral means, that's not the case. So I'm talking SI joint, not palpable. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, if we we're just talking pelvic girdle pain. Because okay, that was the yeah, discussion. You know, I, I would dispute that. Yeah, yeah. That's, I would agree. Stay with the, with the SI joint. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. But then I'm saying it's because the person moves in a way that feels different, where they're guarded and protected. And now that test becomes relevant again, because you've identified a limitation, you've identified some habit of movement, you've identified some protective behavior, and you can use that as a comparable spine, or com comparable spine, comparable sign, to use maintenance, just like the a ASLR test does. But then, what does that end up being? It's simpler stuff, it's global. It's not some magical skill that you have in your hands, which only Diane has. <laughs> That's why, um, so, so a couple days ago, you guys weren't in Disney with us, and I'm sorry, um, but we were talking about a mat that you had that you were going to be using that oh, looked like at force. A, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm getting this sort of portable force plate mat, which is pretty cool. But anyway, sounds cool. Well, it is pretty. Cool. I have to say, because, it's pretty cool. And and I said that I wanted one because what I see with people that are afraid to to move um, is that they will preferentially load one side or the other mm -hmm. um, based on what I assume feels safer for them. Um, and then you, you see all these weird movement patterns that may have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on with them. But we could, with that mat, I'd be very curious to see if I could then be something more objective than me saying it looks like you're putting more weight on your left leg than your right, I could look at that force mm -hmm. uh, transfer and then change it yeah. um, to get it back to normal, which I assume normal is even right to left. That's the Wii Fit. Right? The Wii Fit board we've been But I don't have a Wii Fit at my yeah. clinic, and if yeah. I got one of those fancy little mats, then I could use or that, and it's... Two um, scales? If, 
My R scale, our scale at the clinic says when you stand on it, it oh, says I know. you're fabulous. It says lovely, sexy, hot. Who doesn't want that, right? I just assumed it told you you were drinking too much because your right liver was getting too heavy on that side. <laughs> I suppose my left liver. So you're, 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 you're Canadians right have two. I just <laughs> don't want to assume any fancy anatomical knowledge in them. <laughs> Doing it wrong with only one of this year. Am I right? <laughs> no? Okay. Anyone? No other questions? If no one has any other questions, then we'll wrap this up. But if... uh, well, I kind of have a comment. Okay, sure. More than a question. Um, um, just your name and where yeah, you're from? This is Ray Allen. I'm a rolfer, hypnotherapist out of New York City. Mm -hmm. um, the earlier question, one of the first questions you guys asked the panel about. Uh, how they address certain you know, conditions or mindsets. And I think it's worth noting that the panel comes from different backgrounds and the client or the patient is arriving to each one of these people from a long route, you know? And so when they come to Raven and when they come to the pelvic specialist and then they come to the Canadian pelvic specialist. You have no idea what we do. Right. Nobody knows what an OT does. Yeah, when they show up to the OT and then and then the shack has got his hands on you. I mean, they've already got an expectation, right? And so that expectation is completely shaping a suggestibility of the patient. And so, you know, like how do you address explaining pain? You know, I don't really know if there's a right or wrong answer because that is subject to, you know, if I have my pain, whatever, and I show up to Craig's office and then uh, let's say for whatever reason that doesn't work out and I show up to Brony's office and she's just the perfect little fairy that hands me that magic wand yes, and it's just like, you know, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's just kind of like there's no right or wrong answer. I think that it just kind of... It's really quite... Mm -hmm. It's yeah, also about I, I the stage. We're, we're a person is at in the, yeah. the overall journey. So we know that in, in the first stage, people really are trying to make sense of this thing that's going on. They've got no clues, and life sucks. And later on, they're kind of making sense. And it may be right or wrong, but whatever. They are trying to pull together these bits of information. And they're more or less ready to hear what you say. And then later on, they've heard everything. They've already decided what they know and what works. And they don't care what you say. And you know, it just depends at the stage that we give them as to whether they're going to listen, whether they want to hear anything new, or they just want to have somebody to take them by the hand and say, why don't you have a go at this? Mm. Yeah. Well, right. if, if no one has any other questions, we'll sort of wrap this up, and I'll just ask maybe everyone on the panel to give a quick little closing statement. So if you, I know, it's not that hard. Uh, I'm not going to make you do it like in five words or anything, but if, if you could leave everyone here with, with a closing thought, what would that thought be? And, and I'll just keep it open to whatever you would like that thought to be. So, Michael, let's start, maybe start with you, and then we'll, we'll kind of go down the line. So my first reaction is, geez, I don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with um, be, being careful about being factually accurate, um, because, you know, placebo's been, been moved around for the last 25 years. Um, 
and we've got cognitive behavioural therapy, we've got you know, nociceptive explanations and stuff, and I just think we've got to be really careful with our explanations. You know, if we say, look, something that isn't, isn't the problem, we you know, kind of have to have credibility in that mm-hmm. area. You know, you've got to be able to test it and, and show some sort of evidence for the patient. Be, be accurate and careful. That's my advice. Rani? I think the best thing to say is pain is weird. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. We don't know stuff. We can help you make sense a little bit in your life, in your context, but we don't really have the answers. So let's experiment and let's look at what builds meaning. I'd say that, um, like, explain pain and the sensitive nervous system are amazing uh, texts that help uh, therapists, but when we deliver that information to patients, it has to be specific and meaningful to them. So as many, like, different metaphors and analogies and different ways that people talk about it, like, I almost think it'd be great to have, like, a repository of Mm -hmm. different stories and, like things to get it like I see a lot of CEOs and business people so I can tell those stories relevant to, to them like like it, that information is good but it's time and place and it has to be specific to the the person or else they end up saying you're it's all in, you're th- saying it's all in my head mm-hmm. you know that yeah. Yeah, that's it. I am I, I love being simple um, and I think that if we just shut up and listen to the person in front of us they have more answers than we have Um, One thing that working with people in chronic pain has taught me is how many attachments I came and preconceptions I came to the process with. So I'm having to unlearn a lot of things. And I find that very often people will tell me what's important to them if I just listen. And turning off my preconceptions is an important part of being a good listener. wrap it up? Well, I would like to thank Michael, Bronnie, Greg, Sandy and Raven for joining us on this podcast. Um, from myself... Yes, and I made uh, it through without crying. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Bronnie's here, because last yeah. time I spoke to Bronnie, she made me cry heavily. From myself and Karen, I'd like to give the panel... Let's give the panel a round of applause. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to the audience for attending, and thank you very much to Rajam if she's here. Where is she? Yeah. Yeah. Where is she? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're all looking forward to a next couple of days of, of great pain talks at, at the summit. So thanks so much thank for putting you. this on. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, thank you for coming, and I really appreciate you, Karen and Paul, hosting this podcast. Because um, the initiative for creating this event is that um, pain is a big problem in the in the world, actually. But here in the United States, uh, we don't have a. Um, I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> uh, here in the United States, we need somewhere where uh, multidisciplines can come together and talk about. Um, how to create a treatment plan based on evidence and research as opposed to having a specific um, uh, technique. You know, it's all about techniques when, um, and I think this whole um, podcast, everything everyone said was just beautiful, and I appreciate you doing this and 
bringing this together and helping this podcast right here and everything that the speaker said kind of um, exemplifies what the San Diego Paint Summit is about. So I appreciate it. Thank you. So thank you. So thank you. Hey guys, um, hopefully uh, you got something out of the podcast, um, and uh, um, and that there was a, a lot of sort of um, thought provoking ideas that you got from it, and um, and hopefully some some um, sort of solutions to, to what you might be faced with in clinical practice. Um, what do you find? How did you find that, Karen? Um, I I found that to be the case along with a lot of kind of good humor from Greg Lehman. Yeah, there was He's, a lot of that. Yeah. He was there are t- times during the podcast. Obviously you guys can't see it because it's a podcast. Yeah. But there are times you could just tell he was like chomping at the bit to say something, <laughs> you know, and and then it would just come out. Um, and same no thing with Jack. No uncomfortable silences though, with, right? No. Yeah, it was no good. No uncomfortable silences. <laughs> it was really good. The panel had thought had great interaction with each other. Yeah. And the only other thing, obviously you couldn't see, but the people there could see was, and, and I hope it did not get picked up on the mics. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So during the podcast, somebody's, we said initially, silence your phones because, you know, what kind of person keeps their phone on during yeah, the podcast? I so wouldn't know what there you're was like about that there. sort of Apple ring, that Apple iPhone ring. Oh, what well, the really annoying one. Going on and on. So at yeah. one point, I'm get up from the table during the podcast I'm like crawling on my hands and knees <laughs> I'm like picking up uh, bags and everything and I, then just and for then, the record I want to say I was doing the same and yes know? and for the record Paul okay. was doing the same so people are trying to talk and Paul and I are trying to host and ask follow-up questions and do all this stuff and all you hear is this annoying ring where from a phone coming and from so finally, where is it coming from and then, where was it coming from? Yeah, it was coming from <clears throat> my pocket. Yeah, coming from his own pocket. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't usually you know, throw so shade, but I yeah, think I did. So, so I mean, most people, you can feel a phone in your pocket, but I was <laughs> feeling, I was that. feeling, I was feeling the daggers from, from <laughs> Karen's eyes coming into my neck, you know. That was quite a vivid experience for yes, me. Yes, when he leaned over so, and said, oh, uh, it's me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I just want to say that she said it to the audience. <laughs> I did. Not directly to me. <laughs> not that that's an excuse. <laughs> to, to but, you please know. silence your phone. <laughs> and I think Raven was sitting next to you, and she is she just held it together so the well. nicest. <laughs> Listen, she is the nicest person you will ever meet. Yeah. Like, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe... If you want to, because I did we did everyone say where they can follow? I don't think we did. Like where? Oh yeah, no, that's cool. We so, should do that. So yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at yep. Karen Litzy NYC. Yeah, you can, you can follow, follow me on Twitter at Naked Physio. Not the Naked Physio. No, not just the Naked. At Naked at Physio. Naked Physio. Uh, Raven Sara is at Raven Sara Trevilian. That's her whole name. Yeah. Um, Ronnie Thompson is at Adiemus Free. So that's A D I E M U S Free. Right. Sandy Hilton is Sandy Hilton PT. Yeah. Greg Lehman. Greg Lehman is. is um, I don't remember. I... Pause it. Oh, pause it. I don't want to pause it. I don't. I can't. I can't. Oh, because you. My phone. Anyway, dead. so oh, see, do you see what the phone issues have been causing us? 
So Greg is just look him up. Just just look up Greg Lehman. I think it's, I think just, it's, at just, Greg I think it's Lehman. at Greg Lehman. Greg Lehman. And I don't know if Mac, Michael Shacklock Shack, is on. Shack is on Twitter. I think he's at Neurodynamics. At See, Neurodynamics. Maybe we should have figured this out before we did this, eh? Oh uh, yeah, but God, you know they're all adults. Adults listening to this, they can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Right. I hope so. Yeah, and if not, put it in an email. Yeah. You know, or. And it'll hit us also up be on, on Twitter. Or hit us up on Twitter. And it'll also be on the website. It'll yeah. be on podcast.healthywealthysmarts website. I'll have everybody's Twitter handles. You know, and Rajam will love the hits. You yes. Know? So, yes. You know, Absolutely. There's, you know, there's always some good that comes of bad, right? Yes. So. And, and also, if you're looking to see some tweets and some, some great uh, content from the San Diego Pain Summit, just search on Twitter, hashtag, hashtag SDPain. Or even SDPS 2016. Perfect. All yeah. right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Karen, I just want to say, because this is the first time I've met you, it's been absolutely awesome. Um, and it's been great hosting the podcast with you. So hopefully, you know, in the future, we keep in touch and we can do it again. Yeah, I would love to do it again. I think it was a lot of fun and people really enjoyed it. So um, cool. I thank you very much. Thanks for listening, guys.